Isn't nature beautiful? The growth, blossoming and beauty of an elegant tree is a thing to behold. Just keep your wits about you with this one. Hi, and welcome to day four of the Dark Christmas Tales Advent Calendar. This tale is called Tree, written by Angela Blythe and read by the author. It was a hot summer's day when all this actually first began, and indeed it was months before the terrible happenings took place. On this fateful day, a microscopic particle drifted down from a faraway dead planet. Once it had used all of the planet's resources, the host spores were sent out into the universe to populate and feed on someone else's patch. To see it, you would think that it had no directional purpose, but this little tiny star-shaped parasite would only be attaching itself when it found the right place. The small star was indeed alive. It could put its prongs out as it wished. If it fell on a roof, it would wait until it drifted onto something it needed. As it was, it fell onto the leaf of a tree at the bottom of someone's front garden in the north of England. Sharon first noticed the problem on her way back home from a walk with her dog Tilly. She bent over to see what was going on. The front wall seemed to be bulging out at the bottom where it met the pavement. She would have to have a word with Steve about this later when he came home from work. This wasn't going to continue. When Steve did come home, all of that went out of the window. He had hurt his back at work, and with all the commotion, everything else got forgotten, including the bulge in the wall. The next few weeks were rainy. Sharon and Tilly only went out a short way in the other direction, or sometimes just out in the garden. Another reason that Sharon didn't spend a long time away from the house was that she had to do everything for Steve. The next time Sharon noticed the wall again, the problem had become a lot, lot worse. The great tree was now bare. Its leaves lay on the garden like an orange carpet. The situation with the pavement was hard to miss. The root was entirely out between the bricks, and three of them had become dislodged. They would soon fall onto the pavement. By this time, Steve was well on the mend and Sharon remembered that she had not told him about the tree all those weeks ago, and now this had happened. Not only would they have to have the tree sorted, but they had to have a bricklayer in. On second thoughts, perhaps Steve could deal with this himself. She went into the house, still holding Tilly by the lead. Steve, have you got your slippers on? You've got a right problem. Come outside. Sharon shouted. He soon joined her at the bottom of the garden, where she pointed to the offending root. We need a tree surgeon, Sharon said simply. This tree is growing upwards, outwards and downwards. It'll be joining me in the bath next. Steve looked down at the bulbous root poking through the front wall. Oh God, he said, that's happened all of a sudden. Steve walked back up the drive and onto the lawn, 
He moved the blanket of leaves away with the edge of his slipper. Sharon, come here, love, he said. Sharon carefully made her way across the wet grass and looked where Steve was prodding the lawn. The roots were poking through the grass. The wall was the least of their problems. Underneath the leaves, throughout the autumn, the roots had spread everywhere. There were ridges and bumps everywhere throughout the lawn, radiating from the old tree. Now they could see it, they were shocked. Have you been feeding that tree, Steve? Sharon asked. No, don't be soft. Why would I do that? Steve asked. He got no reply. I'm evicting that tree. That's not happening, Sharon said. The way it's been growing, that wall will be a pile of rubble soon and the roots will be all over the pavement. People will be tripping up over it and we'll get sued, Steve. I don't understand all this. It's been going along nicely for all these years, making this garden look pretty. And now it's gone feral. You'll have to ring the tree surgeon, Steve. I want that gone. Steve did ring the tree surgeon. But with the autumn winds, branches coming down, which had to be attended to, and people having their trees cut back for the winter against the heavy snow, he couldn't fit them in for two weeks. Steve booked him up anyway. He told Sharon the bad news. She huffed loudly. Well, I don't suppose it can get that much worse in two weeks. My garden's already ruined anyway, Sharon said. The next day was particularly wet. Tilly didn't want to go out. Sharon took her into the back garden on her lead and then for a bit of variation took her around the front to check on the tree. Sharon pulled on the lead but Tilly would not go on the grass. Come on Tilly, don't you want to look at the tree? You could wee on it. That'll kill it all right, Sharon said to her. Tilly planted her feet. She was not going anywhere near it. Sharon went back into the house with Tilly. That was the start of the strange happenings. The next day, when Sharon opened her curtains, she saw something weird on the grass. She squinted her eyes to see better through the rain and realised that it was something furry lying there. She put her coat on and walked out of the house towards the lawn. It was a poor old cat lying dead on top of a ridge of the tree root. Strangely enough, a few inches away was the mouse that the cat must have been after, and this was also on top of another root. Sharon shivered. She didn't like dead things. Steve would have to deal with that. It happened to be a Saturday, and he wasn't at work, so she told him what had happened. Whose cat is it? he asked. I don't know who owns it, but it's been on our lawn many a time, so it's local. What are we supposed to do? I don't think it had a collar, Sharon said. Right, well, we'll just have to treat it like we would our own, Steve said, taking a couple of bin bags outside. When he got to the lawn, he saw the poor animal lying there. Sharon was right, it had no collar. Steve dealt with the mouse first as that was quickly removed. When he tried to pick up the cat, it wouldn't come off the ground. He knelt down for a closer look and could see that the problem was that the tree root was through the cat's body. A loop of the root had pierced the cat's abdomen, exited through the other side and disappeared back into the ground. 
This certainly wasn't there yesterday. This root must be four inches above the ground. Steve also noticed that from this central root, lots of little baby roots had sprung from either side. These little ones also seemed to go into the poor animal. What was he supposed to do with this now? He stood up, both hands on his hips. Steve turned to find Sharon, who looked sadly through the window at him. He could see the TV behind her. On top of all this, it looked like Steve was missing his favourite programme. Steve waved, painting a weak smile onto his face. He wasn't about to tell her that this had happened. Steve didn't know where to start, but thought the best, and hopefully the least messy thing to do, was to get a saw and cut the root at either side of the cat. He would then put the whole cat kebab into the black sack. Steve went back into Sharon. Listen, he's pretty stiff, you know, so I wouldn't watch me dealing with it, he said to Sharon. She didn't have to be told twice. She didn't like blood, rigor mortis or anything yucky, so she decided to run a bath and keep well out of the way. Steve stood above the poor creature. He had hoped that at any moment the owner might come looking for it, and then at least they could take it with them. Then he realised it was probably lucky the owner wasn't here, so at least he didn't have to explain to him what Steve's tree had done to his cat. Hmm. What the tree had done. The tree that killed animals. That was a strange thought. He hoped that the roots wouldn't spread even further across the lawn. That bloody tree surgeon couldn't come soon enough. He sawed through one side. It was hard going, even though the roots were quite thin. Some he would generally consider as just twigs. They seemed strange, like hard plastic or bone. Steve finished one side and began to work on the other side. He began to cut, trying hard not to lean on the dead cat, as it was now unsecured from the opposite side and was moving quite a bit. Steve felt something sharp on his hand, but it was nowhere near the saw. He stopped and checked his hand. It wasn't cut. Steve carried on sawing and then felt another sharp pain, but this time in his leg, and this one was much worse. He looked down and with horror saw that the root was trying to find its way into his jeans. The root was out of the ground, moving, twisting its way into the denim. Steve poked it with the saw. It seemed to stop what it was doing, then fall on the floor. Are you plain dead? Steve asked the root. He laughed. Perhaps Steve had drunk too many gin and tonics last night. The world's gone mad, or I have, he said to himself, and began to saw again. It started to rain and he wanted to get this job out of the way, so he worked harder and faster. This wasn't how he wanted to start his Saturday morning. The roots finally broke, and he went to pick up the cat. He tried to get up, but seemed to be snagged. He looked down and noticed that another root was now caught on his jeans. He pulled, and the root grew longer, and its grip got tighter. He used the saw straight away on the little root, it dropped down away from his jeans and worked its way back into the ground. His stomach turned. This wasn't the gin and tonics. This tree was really alive. He had seen it for sure now. 
He had to get Sharon out for this one, once the cat was away. There was no way he was hiding her from this. It was too dangerous. At least one mystery was solved. This explained how the roots had got through the cat. Sharon was still in the bath, and he didn't wait for her to get out. He told her that the roots were moving, without giving her the details. She listened, white-faced. When she came down, they had their first gin of the day. I really hope you're kidding, Sharon said. Something is going on with that tree that is not normal. I don't know what we're going to do about it, Steve said. Are you sure? she asked. I'll prove it somehow, Steve said. They stared at each other, leaning against the kitchen counter as they sipped their drinks. All of a sudden, Steve came up with a plan. The roots were trying to get through his jeans to his leg. They had killed the cat and the mouse. The tree wanted meat. What meat-based products have you got? It might fancy something like that. Let's bait it, Steve said. You are crazy, Steve. There's no way that I'm putting tomorrow's joint of beef on the ground outside, Sharon said. Steve looked crestfallen. I do have a tin of Marks and Spencer stewed steak, though, she offered. She found the tin and opened it, and they took it outside. Steve got a spoon and threw a couple of chunks of steak near to the root. The root moved across, picked up the meat, and brought it downwards, underneath the soil, to eat. Shit, Sharon said. It's terrible, isn't it? Steve swallowed and decided to tell her the truth. It killed the cat, and it probably killed the mouse. If I had been next to it for longer, it would have killed me. What about Tilly? Sharon asked. What about me? Steve muttered, astonished. Sharon, quickly, walked off the lawn as she no longer felt safe there, then back out onto the pavement. It's coming out in another place now, Steve, she said. What are we going to do? Let's ring our John, Steve said. See what he thinks about it. Steve called his brother John, who initially thought he was joking, but the tone in Steve's voice told him something was wrong. He never expected it to be true. He just felt that they were mistaken, and he would have to sort it out for them as usual. John made his way over to their house, and when he got there, Steve flipped another piece of Marks and Spencer's steak onto the lawn, and the root took it. As an added bonus, when John was getting closer to see how this had happened, the root came up and tried to get inside his trainer. I've never seen anything like it, John said. We need to go to the police. This could be dangerous, and it's spreading across the whole of the front garden. If the roots do this, what are the branches going to do? Steve and Sharon hadn't thought of that. Have you been putting some funny fertiliser on it? Funny fertiliser? No, I don't put anything on it. It's a fully grown tree. It looks after itself, Steve said. Besides that, what fertiliser do you know that can turn a tree into a killer? None, not really. Listen, my mate Dave is a policeman. I could try and get him to come over. I don't think that the police would ever believe you if you went into the station. We'll go and see him now, John said. The three of them went to call on Dave, who luckily was on his drive hoovering out his car. 
Dave listened carefully. John wasn't one to say anything stupid. He was a very sensible man. He had to go and see for himself if this was really happening. You will get the police involved, won't you, when you verify what's going on? Sharon asked. Yes, of course, if I think it warrants investigation. It probably needs some kind of wildlife association taking a look at it, Dave said. It's much more severe than that, Steve said warily. We'll do an experiment with a bit of steak. It likes that. I've seen it, John said. It's brilliant. Steve's right, though. In the big scheme of things, it could be quite dangerous. As it was, they didn't have to get the steak out, as there was a commotion at the front of the house when they turned into the road. A woman was loudly shouting for help. A thick but whippy root from beneath the pavement had grabbed a leg of her Staffordshire terrier and wouldn't let go. Dave ran over as quickly as he could to the hysterical woman. Don't move the animal, Dave said. It could break its leg if we pull it out in the wrong direction. How did your dog get tangled like that anyway? The woman was about to tell him that her dog had been grabbed, not tangled, when the dog began to yelp painfully. From where he stood, Steve could see that the root had pierced the skin. He noticed that his saw was still on the drive and he ran for it. Steve then grabbed the root and sawed at it frantically until it was detached. The woman picked up her screaming dog. Get it out of him, quick! Sharon screamed. Dave and John pulled at the root, which began to wind itself around the dog's ankle to secure itself. Each man pulled with both hands and twisted until it came out of the poor, crying dog. They threw the root onto the floor before it could start to attach itself to them. Like a spider, it scuttled back to the tree. It settled back into position at the end of the root, the cut healing over as if nothing had happened. Keep away from it, Dave shouted. You don't have to tell me, Sharon said. What are we going to do? I'll contact the station, Dave said. The woman ran home with her terrified dog, utterly shocked at what she had seen. Steve, John and Sharon stood on the other side of the road. They could see it had grown. The nutrients from the cat and mouse looked like it had nourished the tree. Heaven knows how many worms it must have eaten. Dave must have said something pretty damning to the guys at the station, because within ten minutes there was a lot of police on the street. They had cones, which they used to block off the front of Sharon's house. Some people arrived in white overalls and masks. Dave wandered over to them as they watched the excitement from the other side of the road. I'm to escort you back to your house safely. You need to get some clothes to last a few days. Please find a hotel or stay with family until this is sorted, Dave said gravely. What do you think it is? Sharon asked. Who knows? Dave said. I have never seen anything like it, and I've never heard of anything like it. But the experts are here now. They'll sort it out. Just keep yourself safe. Day after day, the scientists and police investigators worked on it. They had to be very careful. The roots came out a long way now. If they weren't watching every single one, it would find a cat, bird or mouse to eat. And that meant it grew. Houses at either side of Steve and Sharon's house had to be evacuated. 
not only Sharon's lawn, but now most of the drive, not only Sharon's lawn, but now most of the drive was covered in the thick woody growths. They had also started to snake up the front of the house. At the other side of the tree, at the other side of the tree, the roots had burst through the hole of the front wall. They grew across the pavement. The scientists tried burning it with flamethrowers and dissolving it with acid, but it regenerated pretty quickly. They tried cutting pieces off and immediately throwing it into a mulcher. But when the sawdust came out the other side, it knitted together and scuttled back to the tree. Poison and pesticides were the next ideas to be tried, but again they did nothing. The roads radiating out from the house had to be closed one by one. Next to the houses across the road and behind on either side had to be evacuated. All the time, the tree kept feeding on the local wildlife. Animals, insects, worms and occasionally a tired scientist who would have to be rescued. The branches were free, of course, and whipped around without any care. They often caught birds which squawked loudly in terror as they were absorbed, but no one could do anything to help them. After a couple of days, the roots wriggled their way into the front door's lock, seemingly to sniff what was left in there. It soon managed to work the lock open, and once the door was unlocked, the tree's tentacles wound their way through each room, up the stairs, and into every cubby hole, looking for tasty treats. Behind the white screens that the police had put up, most of it was hidden. When the lights started to go up at Christmas, the scientists were no further in their investigations as to what it was or how to stop it. This was something that they hadn't seen before, and they didn't want to see again. Now, people from China, America and Russia were studying the aberration, they knew that it was not from this earth, but little else. How could this be used to their advantage? This was way too exciting a phenomena to destroy. Meanwhile, Sharon was stopping at her sister-in-law's, feeling very unhappy. Her house would never be the same, even when this was over, if it was ever over. She told Steve that she wanted to move. He said they wouldn't be able to because no one would want to buy it. Sharon told everyone that it had ruined their Christmas and cried most days now. She was just glad that the tree had never got hold of Tilly. The crunch finally came when a group of teenagers wanted to find out what was going on behind the white screens. One of them, named Callum, lived on the street behind the house, which wasn't as protected as the main danger zone. Three doors down, from Sharon's house and from the rear, they managed to get into the garden, pushing through the back bushes. The group were on the edge of Sharon's property, trying to keep to the shadows, so as not to be caught, but the roots were this far back, as they continuously searched for wildlife. Here they seemed to be more successful than at the front. The tree had eaten a couple of dogs, many cats, squirrels, mice, three foxes and hundreds of birds. When Callum went into the garden that evening, he was unaware of the danger and he was the unlucky one out of the gang as the first branch shot through his leg, pinning him to the ground. Callum began to scream. Probably due to the amount of blood it was consuming, the tree sensed that it had managed to get hold of a large warm creature and this sent it into a feeding frenzy. 
The tree punched a root into his throat, instantly shutting off the screams. His friends, the scientists and the police all tried in vain to pull him away to safety. The tree had enormous strength and Callum was pulled into the ground, dead meat. The kids ran back home to their parents the way they had come. They also told Callum's parents. Now the secret was out. The tales of a chemical spillage or extreme poison ivy and all the other rumours that had been spread around when no one knew the truth were now quashed. It had to be destroyed and people took to the streets to make sure it was done. The authorities would not be allowed to play with it any longer. Finally, one scientist had an idea of how to solve the regeneration problem. A branch was put in a mulcher and driven away. Then the branch was turned into sawdust and finally the sawdust was set on fire. Every molecule of that tree was destroyed that way. Every minuscule branch, twig and root hair was turned to ash. Painstakingly, night and day, the men sawed up the wood bit by bit. All the tree surgeons in five counties were drafted in to help taking the pieces under police escort and destroying them. Within three days, they'd done it. Sharon's house was scarred all over the front where the tree roots had clung onto it. The roots had been far worse than ivy. They had pulled off the plaster and mortar, dislodging some of the bricks. The drive was rubble. There was no lawn left, no front wall either. Steve wondered if the insurance would cover this. At least it was nearly Christmas, even though Sharon would be spending it in John and Eileen's house. Tomorrow was a new day. The tree had gone now, and things would soon get back to normal. Sharon watched the snow come down everywhere. It made everything pure, reset the imbalance in the world. Anything could happen when it was snowing. Flakes were so lovely, large and silent, so big that she could see little shadows behind each one from the street lamps. Even better, in the snowflakes, she thought she could see hundreds of strange little stars twinkling, settling on the garden. That was a dark Christmas tale, written and read by Angela Blythe. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about further stories in this series or my other work, please go to www.angelablythe.com.